At First Baptist Church, our mission is to follow our Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others to a joyful life with Him. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus Christ in such a way that you will have joyful news to go and tell. Let's stand together and read this passage of Scripture from Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Anybody have a heavy heart today, feel afraid, feel dejected, alone, confused by all that may be happening in your life? You know, you get tired, you get sad, you get scared, you despair, your hopes get dashed. You thought you would be past the hard part by now. You wanted to be closer to your family than you are. You feel alone. You feel invisible. You wonder if anything you do matters. That is not necessarily sin. It's just the heartache of the world coming down on you. You know what that feels like. We all do. It doesn't feel good. So what do you do about it? One effort that seems pretty common is to attempt to talk yourself into feeling better. Or if that doesn't seem spiritual enough for you, to ask the Lord to talk you into feeling better. That is to counter what you're feeling by saying to yourself or asking God to say to you, you shouldn't be feeling like that because God loves you, or you've got a lot to be thankful for, or you're letting the devil whisper in your ear, or the Bible says rejoice, or remember the promises of Scripture, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, reading the Bible will often open your spirit up to comfort, absolutely. It's happened for me. What I wonder about, though, is... What happens when you've read all the verses and remembered all the promises and you still find yourself in a place of fear or despair? That's really hard because then you might conclude that you've just failed at learning how to be a good Christian. You're sinning. You're being petty. You're being selfish. You're disbelieving God. All those inner critic Voices ramp up and then you feel even more demoralized. It's as if you can hear God himself saying, I, I'm giving you my word and you're still not appreciating it. Then you're just left with yourself as a failure. Maybe you deserve the pit you've fallen into, you might tell yourself. You have nowhere else to go. Oh my word, is that it? You're just sinning if even the Bible doesn't leave you feeling soothed? Is that the last word? It can feel like you're drowning on the inside and nothing is scarier. 
Does this sound familiar to you? Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. That's Psalm 69. We're really mining the dark psalms today. This is Dark Psalm Sunday. (laughs) You are overwhelmed. You're not making it. You're, You're just not. And you haven't dared tell anyone. In the midst of all of that unsustainable dread, Paul says... The Spirit helps us in our weakness. When he uses weakness here, Paul isn't pointing to something that's wrong with you, that you haven't been spiritual enough or faithful enough or trying hard enough. That's what you may be telling yourself or that's what you may be hearing from other people. Paul knows, God knows, That the last thing you need is to have a large, you're doing it wrong sign hung around your neck. You already know that you're out of ideas. You already know that. In this passage, weakness means that you're just finite. You're not infinite. And sometimes the world is too much for you. How could you not feel overwhelmed? Of course that's what you're going to experience. Rather than scold, Paul says, yeah, that's about right. And trying to pray makes it worse somehow. It's it's as if Paul is even saying that. Trying to pray makes it worse somehow. He doesn't exactly say that, but how else would you paraphrase his statement that, We do not know what we ought to pray for. I mean, come on, if you go to pray and you don't even know where to begin because it's so loud inside of you that you can't even hear yourself, that's pretty miserable. There's so many voices trying to coach you, criticize you, distract you, remind you, manipulate you that it's complete cacophony. You mostly can't make out a single intelligible Word and the words you do manage to hear aren't comforting in the least. And you can't even understand what your own inner voices say. So, how are you supposed to understand God? It's hard to pray in times like that. Maybe you could, you know, eke out a prayer for a meal, you know, thank you for this food, or pray for safety on a trip. You know, travel mercies, as people say. Uh, But anything other than that, and you really think you just might get lost in all the commotion going on inside of you. You keep it all unsaid because there's more to say than you know how to say. Perhaps people have even told you that you always seem so calm and spiritually mature, but you know otherwise. You hide the storm pretty well. Or 
Have you ever believed that you're just too much? Anybody ever told you that? That your inner chaos will scare people away if they get a glimpse of it? I'm sure familiar with that kind of experience. I met a group of college friends for a reunion a few years ago, and as we sat around the table eating together, one of the folks said, I want to hear what God is doing in your lives. Let's go around the table and each tell what you're hearing from God. Everybody, I had no idea what to say I, I, because I, I couldn't even find my way around my own chaotic life, much less home in on a signal from God. There were things happening at that particular time in my life that knocked me back and stomped on me. I was looking at a scrambled mess and had no energy for a breezy, God-is-good-all-the-time conversation. So I said, I leaned in and I said, when it came to me, I said, I feel like a tornado has ripped through my life and torn everything from the foundations. It's dark for me, and I'm trying to keep it together as much as I can, but some days I don't know how I'm going to go on. If God's doing something, I have no idea what it is, and I have no idea how to, enter, how to identify such activity. I'm a pastor, and you might think that's not supposed to be how a pastor feels, but there it is. No, I didn't really say that. Um, <laughs> I, that's what was in my mind. I had one of those little fantasies, you know, and it came back to my actual turn to say something. I mean, there was no way I was going to say that because, I mean, it's how, it's how I felt, but there was no way I was going to say that because I, I didn't know how it would be handled. I needed a place where I could securely talk about all that stuff, but that meeting wasn't it. It seemed to me like it would have led to even more chaos in me. And I barely had enough energy reserves to make it through the day as it was. When my turn came to say something, I just said, I don't know. That's what I said. I, I don't remember what happened after that. They probably thought I needed to get saved, I guess. I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I didn't know what to say that day. And there have been times like that since. You know how this goes in your own life. You don't even know where to begin. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. This is the profound empathy of Christ. It's certainly not his antipathy. It's not his apathy. It's not even his sympathy. I mean, there's a place for sympathy. There, there is, and it's better than nothing. You know, sorry for your loss, or yeah, it, I faced that stuff when I first started at this job too. I know how that goes, you know, just sort of sympathizing. But empathy is feeling into, and that's where Jesus lives. 
The good news here is not that Christ can or will empathize with you, if only you would approach him just right. The good news here is that he actually empathizes with you. He just does. When you find yourself overcome by disorder, by chaos, the response of Christ is not, you're too much, but this is too much for you. It's the Elijah running from Jezebel experience like we talked about a few weeks ago. It's the tender, you can't imagine your weeping ever ending experience right before Jesus raised the widow's son back to life. The translations often say Jesus came up to her and said, don't cry. And the sense there is, your weeping is just going on and on and you can't even imagine that ever ending. And then he, he just enters into her grief there. What happens here when the Spirit intercedes? I mean, what do these words of Paul's actually convey? Is this the Holy Spirit formatting your thoughts into acceptable style? Does heaven require Turabian? You know, I, I, is the Holy Spirit preparing a report to be forwarded to God in order to get you in the queue for a response? What's happening here? Well, here's what's happening. Heaven says, heaven says, this is too much for you. The Spirit draws near to you. The Holy Spirit envelops you, holds you in His tenderness, and says to you, and, and this is without you doing anything. This is not cracking the code, you know. It just happens to you. The Holy Spirit holds you in His tenderness and says to you, this disarray and upheaval is inside of you and it's terrorizing you and it feels like you're inches away from full-on panic. You don't know what to do. You've tried to give yourself spiritual pep talks. You've done what you thought was right, and you are nonetheless absolutely confused. You become angry and say hurtful things to people who are important to you, friends or family. You withdraw from people or try to fake some smiles. You try to distract yourself with substances. You're trying your best to white-knuckle this inner pandemonium. That's the kind of thing the Holy Spirit envelops you and says. That's what the Spirit feels with you and says with you and breathes in you. And in that feeling and saying and breathing of the Spirit, there is no scolding or blaming or shaming or condemning whatsoever. There's no hinting that you've made a wrong turn or tusk, tusk, tusk. or This, this is not fault finding. This is the Spirit groaning with you and exploring with you the depth of your fear and pain and uncertainty. And it's what you haven't had the words to say because you're exhausted from your tumultuous life. 
This isn't problem solving. This is the Holy Spirit saying to you, you don't know where to begin and you are overwhelmed. This passage tells you that you're, you're just out of words. And how could you not be? You don't have the energy to think clearly. It's all so heavy for you that it's pressing the air out of your lungs. Paul says that the Holy Spirit moves to create order out of chaos in you. This is what God does. This is how it all began, you know. Back in Genesis, when God looked out over the void, He knew that this was no place human beings could ever live. So He brought order. He made a world that would sustain them. If He does that in the outer world, He does that in the inner world, your inner world. He knows that that chaotic void is no place that you're able to live. And so he brings order out of chaos. Inside of you, the Spirit of God hovers over the formless chaos like he did so long ago. He speaks and the words are exactly the words you would have said if you had been able to say them. They're not the words they are not words that tell you what's wrong with the chaos. The words the Spirit speaks rather describe the pain, describe the fear, describe the suffering you feel. They give voice to, the, to those things. The Spirit's words describe them perfectly and put them in order. And then you can see what it is that's coming at you. You can see what it is you're facing rather than just being blindfolded or actually blind. And Paul ought to know. It's what happened to him on the road to Damascus. Jesus encountered him there. And he said to Paul, it's so agonizing and frightening for you to push back against the things that are causing your inner foundation to crumble. Damascus was just the culmination of mounting chaos that had been building in Paul for some time. We can see the trajectory. Luke tells us in Acts that Paul saw Stephen die, and though Paul was outwardly approving, what do you suppose was happening inside him? He saw how this man died. Luke goes to great pains to describe exactly how Stephen died. Seeing heaven. And saying, Jesus, I commit my life into your hands. Paul had never seen anything like that. He stood there. And outwardly he was approving, but... Something was happening inside him. The deluge was coming and Paul tried to dam it up by doubling down on his persecution agenda. But the dam broke on that road and it traumatized him so badly he went blind. And that's not all. He had to go away for 14 years just to sort it all out. What do you think was going on all that time, all those years? 
He tells us in Galatians, Paul says that Jesus himself taught him the gospel. But let's be clear. This wasn't Jesus with a flip chart coaching Paul on learning the Roman road for witnessing presentations. That gospel instruction involved, over that 14 years, involved Jesus organizing Paul's inner world, surveying all the hurt and pain and regret together with Paul. For the first time in his life, Paul was out of words. He was a rising scholar. And he had no words. Everything he'd built his life on was gone. And so Jesus tenderly organized all of that. Tenderly speaking to him about all the suffering that Paul would endure. Teaching Paul how he himself endured suffering and found the Spirit's voice amidst the pain bringing order to what would otherwise be blind confusion. By the end of that time, by the end of that 14 years, you can rest assured that Paul knew Jesus was the Savior and he devoted the rest of his life to letting others in on that good news. Only Jesus could have brought order to the chaos like that. And from that experience, Paul knew it. He was never the same. Now, in one way, this sounds counterintuitive. Paul doesn't say here in this passage that the Spirit comes roaring in with a solution or an answer. He doesn't say the Spirit intercedes and He gives us, He drops the answer on us. Rather, He says that the Spirit articulates your distress. But wait, why not just solve it? Why not just solve it? We read this, and, and when we realize Paul's not talking about an answer, we may say, I, I, know, I know you're going to describe all this, but just give me the answer, and it'll be fine. Why not just solve it? Because it would harm you. The immediate problem might go away. But look, you have been shaped and even wounded by distress and confusion and fear and pain, the experiences of dismay and unrest, those have left a whole lot of fingerprints on your life. Just removing the problem doesn't turn back the trauma of the ordeal. If a hostage is rescued, the problem is solved and nothing further remains? That's not even close to reality. How do you deal with the woundedness? The agony inside of you needs to be voiced. You need heaven to hear that. 
That's exactly the reason the Holy Spirit moves into the void to bring order within you. And the bleeding stops and the terror stops. You and the Spirit can look at all the pain together now. This is safety. The order the Spirit brings is your safety, even before anything is healed or solved. You can breathe with the Spirit's breath. You're not drowning in the chaos. And when the Spirit is with you, freedom is with you, the Scriptures tell us. When the Spirit is near, God is near. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So how can you experience what Paul is talking about? How can you become surrounded by the Spirit's energy that will lift you out of the inner chaos of confusion and fear that has made you lose your words? What might that look like? Well, it could happen in lots of ways. In my own life, it has happened. I didn't always know it was happening at the time, but as I reflect on it, I, I begin to see there are times when, when I, I don't have anything. I, I don't have any way to articulate. And I don't even, I don't even want to pray. And, and the Spirit, as I see looking back, has come and, and given words to heaven when I couldn't, didn't. During times of heavy burden, periodically, my Episcopalian daughter, I said Episcopalian daughter, some of you might be thinking, where did you go wrong, Brian? <laughs> That's a joke. I, it's not, I mean, maybe you're saying that. I don't know. But um, she has sent me prayers from the Book of Common Prayer that the Anglicans and Episcopalians use. And these prayers, at those times, they, they have said exactly what I have longed to say to God but didn't know how because of the chaos in my soul. In those times, those prayers have pulled me up from the abyss. Or the empathetic prayer of a trusted friend has given voice to feelings that I don't even know how to name. Or standing alone before God and barely mustering the words, help me. Those two words have been the only prayer I've had the energy to utter many times in my life. Help me. Safe spaces begin with God. Oh, you hear people seize on that phrase, don't you? 
and condemn others for being so soft and snowflakey that they need their safe space where they don't have to face the big bad world. The Bible helps us here in the words of Paul to know that we're all snowflakes now, everybody. And we need the intimate safety of God's empathy to say to us, it's frightening and confusing for you, and I'm here as long as it takes for you to suffer through this. That's the safety we need for a world that's hard. The Spirit prays with you. He just does. The Spirit prays with you. And that prayer will pull you up. Thanks be to God.